All right, just a quick uh, for information, you know, we do have just a small packet of questions you know, that will cover you know, the book of Acts as we go through it, uh, as we go eat from week to week. And so they are on the ledge of the AV room, just that you know, white uh, staple packet. Uh, for the sake of the Wednesday night class, if you've not picked up material for that, uh, David Delk will be you know, leading that study of the book of Numbers. And there are a couple boxes on the ledge as well you know, that have nice folders. And so you, uh, I got the stapled one. He's got the really nice folder. And so uh, you can see you know, a difference of preparation there. Uh, so, uh, but you know, there are plenty of copies available. Uh, you know, I you know. That was uh, distributed this past Wednesday, and they ran out. And so uh, there are plenty more copies, so please make sure you get a copy for Wednesday night study uh, of Numbers. Also, when I first put out the uh, you know, little question packet for our study uh, here on Sunday morning, uh, you, know, you may have picked up you know, from that you know, original stack, and the front page that had the schedule of our studies had the wrong dates. Uh, and so if you would like a correct uh, uh, sheet to replace that one, there is a small stack of papers on the back there with just this first page that has the correct dates. And so obviously Sunday morning starts on the 2nd and not on the 5th. And so uh, if you want to correct, get that corrected uh, sheet, please help yourself as well. Yeah, it's on the ledge too. So as we get in our study this morning, the Acts of the Apostles... And so this divine account, this divine inspired record, is it a, uh, an account of all the acts of the apostles? No, it is not an account of all the acts, all the work of the apostles. It is just a divine record and historical account of some of the acts of the apostles that God in his divine knowledge and wisdom has preserved for us to direct us as well in our walk with Jesus Christ. And so when you think about the study of Acts, it is the second part to a continuing account. You know, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts go together. And so we have here in this book is it is a second writing that should not be viewed entirely in isolation from the former treatise or the former account that talks about there in verse 1, in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. And so you have in the first account, you have the apostles witnessing, being eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus Christ, of the ministry and work that Jesus did. In the second account, the book of Acts, we have, you have you know, those same apostles actively now testifying of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because they are eyewitnesses of Jesus and his resurrection. This account in Acts, you need to see you know, you know, how it relates particularly to the ongoing story of Luke. You, know, you look there in Luke chapter 24, you have Luke's account of the Great Commission. And if you want to just you know, you know, hold your hand at Acts, glance back at Luke 24, Luke chapter 24, and you see uh, some things that Jesus said to his apostles uh, in the Gospel of Luke prior to his ascension after his resurrection, beginning in verse 44. He says, These are my words, he says, 
I think you need to realize that. And so when he's right, these are Jesus' words, which I spoke to you. And so he's not telling them something that's entirely brand new and they never heard anything about. And he says, no, these are my words, which I spoke to you. I told you these things already while I was still with you. All, that all things are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophet and the psalm must be fulfilled. And so he's making the point, everything that's happened had to happen. It must be fulfilled. You know, the, you know, I told you this prior to. And so he then in verse 45, it says, according to Luke's uh, divine uh, guidance, says, Jesus opened their minds so they could understand those scriptures. What scriptures? Well, the scriptures in the law and in the prophets and in the Psalms that had to be fulfilled pertaining to the Messiah. And he goes on to say, verse 46, And thus it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. And that's really, see, that's where the book of Acts picks up. It is the proclamation of the repentance for forgiveness of sins that had to be proclaimed in the name of Christ, the name of Jesus, to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And he says, you, the apostles, you are witnesses. You're witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so you see very quickly as Luke is closing off that former, former, former treatise, that former account, uh, basically as Acts describes uh, everything that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up. And so as Luke is closing that off, he he. Ties in what he begins with in Acts 1. This whole idea of being ordered of the Lord, that they are, you know, they are to receive something as they wait in Jerusalem. And so, Acts, yes, it is often described as the book of history in the New Testament, you know, where you've got a number of books that are categorized that in the Old Testament. You know, where Acts is unique, it is the only one that is classified by that terminology. But this book of history is a witness-bearing account. It is a witness-bearing account. As it tells us, basically, of the continued record of Christ impacting the hearts and impacting the lives of lost souls through the gospel. And so in a sense, Jesus is continuing to do, Jesus is continuing to teach through those whom he sent. Because that's what an apostle is. When Jesus chose, for example, in Mark 3, that was one of your readings. Uh, Mark 6 is the Luke, I mean, Luke 6 is the Luke account of the same occasion where you've got the choosing of the apostles and so he calls together disciples, and from a larger group of disciples, Jesus chose 12 men, and he named them, he called them apostles, which means he called them, you are sent out once. And so he called them together, and for that ministry, there is a limited commission, as we understand, in the gospel account, but the greater issue is he was preparing them for the greater commission, 
Because ultimately the message of Christ, repentance for forgiveness, must be proclaimed to all nations. And that's what Acts is all about. And so there is a sense, as you're reading, just try to see it, not just from, okay, these are history facts you know, about the apostles, some of the apostles, some of the acts of the apostles, uh, and, but see it as under, underlying behind all of these accounts, the apologetic emphasis of it. Because uh, Luke, through the book of Acts, is not only defending Christ, when he's also, he's defending the spread of Christianity, He's, you know, the, uh, the gospel is spreading to the world and Luke is, is presenting to it, you know, really with the aim. Let me get this move forward here. We're really with the aim of presenting an accurate information about the gospel progress. Luke, he doesn't name himself in the introduction as the writer. But uh, it is understood particularly by the introduction in in, in the Gospel of Luke and in the introduction of the book of Acts. You have clearly strong similarities that indicate, okay, this is the same writer that's addressing, addressing the same person that is named as Theophilus. And the aim of Luke in this account is to present an accurate information of the progress of the gospel. Just like in the, in the book of Luke, his aim was to prevent, present an accurate information of all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's the former treatise. That's the former account. That was one of your questions. You know, you know, question two, what is the former account which is written previously? And as students of God's word you know, in studying Luke and Acts previously, you know, I'm coming to that, you know, you know, most of you that, you know, that you, know, you understand and know already. You know, so, but we want, we want to kind of date it and, and the dating of the writing, not the dating of the events. But the dating of the writing of Luke is, is in the early 60s. Uh, and they believe it, you know, the completion of Luke is, you know, basic, I mean, of Acts, excuse me, by Luke, is soon after uh, Paul's first imprisonment in Rome, which occurred kind of at the end of, uh, of the 50s, around 59, it is suggested, is when he you know, ends up in Rome. And, and so we believe that a couple years later or so is when Luke compiles by the direction of the Holy Spirit and writes down the Acts of the Apostles. And they also believe that it's prior to what is, what is known as the Nero anti-Christian policy. You know, it's in the early 60s, you know, that, or in the 60s or mid-60s, that Nero comes on the scene and Nero is not favorable toward Christianity. And so there are, you know, there are persecutions that begin to arise you know, by the leadership of the, Ro- uh, the Roman Empire you know, against Christians. Where earlier, earlier persecutions were, were not coming from the Roman sector, you know, from what group of people uh, first began persecuting Christians? Jews. And that's what you're going to see in the book of Acts. 
You know, just, you know, just you see the opposition of the leadership in, in, in Luke and Mark and John and the others. Uh, you, you see it is the Jews that opposed Christ and opposed the work of, of Christians because, you know, here they, they, they saw it as a threat. You know, and, and so they you know, are unbelievers and so they're going to try to put a halt to it. And of course, they cannot do that because this is all God's plan. So, you know, it's in the early 60s prior to Nero coming on the scene. But yet sometime, you know, you know, they believe after, you know, Paul was in that first imprisonment, which Acts ends with. Now, Luke is described in the New Testament you know, in a number of ways. You know, we recognize he's a disciple of Jesus Christ. He is a believer and follower of the Lord and Savior, the Son of God. But also, he is, he is a co-worker or companion of the Apostle Paul. And he's described as the beloved physician. For example, in Colossians chapter 4. There's a number of, of ways that Luke is described. The one who is attributed to be the writer of this historical account. And he proves himself to be, both when you look at Luke and then at Acts, he proves to be you know, truly a very reliable historian. Because what, what Luke you know, writes and what he records, you know, not just about Christians and the church of our Lord and Savior, of which we are part of to, even still today, uh, but also even when you think about all of the political background and all the ge- geogra- geography that's involved, you know, Luke is accurate 100% of the time. And so he is a reliable historian, and so he's the one who is writing this account. In Luke, he, in the book of Luke, he says, I composed this former writing, and I was writing about what Jesus did and what he taught until he, he, he went away. But then in verse 3, he begins, he says, to these he also presented himself alive. So the same ones he talked about here in verse 2, the apostles whom Jesus chose. He says, to these he also presented himself alive. And so the resurrection. And he says, and he did so by many convincing proofs. So where, where are you going to find some of those convincing proofs of Jesus presenting himself alive after being dead to his apostles? Where are you going to find those convincing proofs? They're going to be in the Gospels. And you're going to find them in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So that, you know, that's where you're going to find those con- very convincing proofs that Jesus is alive. That's the point of the appearances. To prove you know, in a very convincing manner that Jesus said, I was dead, but now I am alive. And that's how Revelation describes him. You know, so it's very significant to understand the impact and the power of the resurrection. And so the book of Acts, that's one of the main threads. As the, as the apostles, as eyewitnesses, that's important. They saw the Lord before he died. They saw the Lord after he died alive again. And so now they are sent to proclaim to the world that this is truth. And so in verse 3, he, can, he, he appears convincing them, and he does so for about a, a period of 40 days, we're told. 
And then he says, you know, he spoke to them about the kingdom. So is he talking to them anything new here? Is the kingdom a new subject? No, it isn't. He's, he's been teaching about the kingdom all along. You know, uh, I like saying, for example, in Mark, you know, in Mark chapter 1, you know, where it talks about as at the beginning of his ministry, as he commands repentance. Why? Because the kingdom of God is near. And so all throughout his ministry, he, he taught about the kingdom. And so he's not talking about something entirely different, entirely new. But as Luke says, at the end of Luke, he's expounding to them the scriptures, opening up their minds so that they can understand not only who he is as king, but also they can understand what his kingdom is or who the kingdom is and what that kingdom is all about. You know, take, for example, uh, parables, parables of Jesus. You know, what were most of the parables about? They're about the kingdom, some aspect of the kingdom. You know, those parables taught us things that we needed to know about the nature of the king and the nature of the dominion that he rules, that he is Lord of Lord and King and Kings of. And so in this period of 40 days, recall, you know, he died on the Sabbath after uh, partaking, uh, I mean, he died prior to the Sabbath after partaking uh, of the Passover meal. And, and the law of Moses taught that, you know, st- you know, you start counting after that Sabbath, after the Passover, you count seven, what? Not just seven days, seven weeks, right? You count seven weeks plus one. And so, you know, so Jesus was raised up on the first day of counting. When he was raised on the first day of the week, that's the day they would start, the Jews would start counting to get from the Passover feast and unleavened bread feast to ultimately the Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. And so he was raised on the first day of counting, and you, they would have counted for you know, seven weeks, which is seven times seven is what? 49, yeah, some of us are, are very slow on our basic multiplication facts here. And so 7 times 7 is 49 plus 1, so it's 50 days. What, is, what does the word penta mean? Penta means 5, right. And so that's why yeah, that became one of the names associated with the Feast of Booths and Feast of Tabernacles. And so Jesus appeared, he was raised on that first day of the week, the first day of counting, and he was with them, we're told, in Luke, how many days? I mean, excuse me, Acts 1. How many days was he with them? Forty days. He was presenting himself with convincing proofs that he's alive and talking to them about the kingdom of God. But then he left, and so how many days, if he's there 40, how many days remain you know, till Pentecost? Ten. So you got ten days there. Because you subtract 40 from 50, you got 10 days left. And, so, and Pentecost would, it fell upon the first day of the week. Because it was the day added after multiplying 7 times 7. And so you, know, so you have, that's the time period that's going on here in regard to the book of Luke. And particularly in this introduction. And so I want us to talk a little bit about, you know, kind of one of the, the main things. 
One of the main things that Jesus focused on, I find it interesting, you know, he talked about the kingdom for 40 days, or at least he was on earth for 40 days, and he was with them. He would talk about the kingdom. But as Luke ends in the Gospel of Luke, and as Luke begins in the book of Acts, the one kind of pivotal thing that's kind of the bridge or the turning point here is the subject of the Father's promise of the Holy Spirit. You know, th- th- this is pivotal. You know, you, know, you know, this is very important that we understand that the promise of the Father to pour out the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is part of kingdom matters. He talked to them about the kingdom and he says, okay, I want you to know this. This is one of the, uh, the significant things of the kingdom. Because, you know, the prophet spoke of the kingdom in the Old Testament, not only of Christ's role, but also it speaks of the spirit's role connected with the kingdom and the king. And now next week when we get into Acts, you know, Acts 2, clearly you know, we're going to, you know, you'll see and you know already, you know, the prophet Joel is very important to that you know, revealing of a prophecy. But Joel's not the only one that spoke of the kingdom or the king and associated the work of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah also you know, talks about this. And so here we are in these la- you know, like la- latter days, last day, Jesus is on earth. And you have you know, him talking to the, to the apostles you know, about kingdom matters. And he tells them, okay, you need to stay where? You need to stay in Jerusalem. You need to stay in Jerusalem because my father promised something. And he says, and this promise relates particularly to you. And he says, you are going to be baptized with or in the Holy Spirit. You are going to be immersed with the Spirit. And when that happens, there's a number of matters that, uh, that are associated with that. And that's where I try to kind of sum up here on the PowerPoint. You've you got this being talked about in verses 4 through 8. You know, he talked about it. So they're with Jesus again. And he says, okay, you know, you know, you heard from me about how John baptized, you know, in water. He says, but he says, you, you know, remember what John says? John makes the point. I baptize with the water, but there's one coming after me who's mightier than me, whose, you know, sandals I am not worthy even to lace up. And he says, he, he will baptize, you know, with the spirit and fire. And so John, the baptizer, does not specify at that, at that point who's going to be baptized. It emphasizes who does the baptizing. That's what John emphasizes. It's Jesus. And so Jesus now, who has died and been raised, declared the Son of God, and has all authority in heaven and earth, he now says, my Father's promise is that you... You, the apostles, are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be immersed with the Spirit. 
And when is this going to happen? He, he, you know, he doesn't give any specific time period, but he, he gives them some time reference. And how does, what does Jesus say here? You know, when is this going to happen? Yeah, not many days from now, or you know, however, however your version says that. It's going to be soon. It's, it's really close now. You know, Jesus has been presenting himself alive you know, for 40 days, convincing them. And talking to them and teaching them and opening the scriptures to them about the kingdom. And of course, and he's you know, significant in that subject. And so, but now he says, not many days from now, this is going to happen. It's not may, maybe it's going to happen. I'm not sure, but I think, the, I think the father said something about this. No, he says, this is what my father said, that you, this, you, know, you will be baptized with this divine being... You will be immersed with him, and it's going to happen very soon. You know, and we know Acts 2 is the fulfillment. And we'll talk more about this, Lord willing, next week. But then he goes on to say, when it happens, you know, not, you know, so you're going to be immersed with the Spirit in some way. And, and when this happens, you're going to get what? What are you going to get from this? You're going to get power. You're going to be so filled or so overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit, you, the apostles, you are going to be empowered with power. And so he says, wait, wait in Jerusalem. He doesn't tell, notice that he says here, he doesn't tell them on what day this is going to happen. He doesn't tell them this. He says, it's going to happen soon, but you stay in Jerusalem. You know, is that where these men are from? No. Who are, you know, where are they from, these apostles? You know, they're from Galilee. They're, they're, they're men of Galilee. They're, they're from up north. That's where all their homes are. You know, you know, that's where their families would have been. He says, yeah, he said, but you stay in Jerusalem because soon, very soon, you are going to be baptized with the Spirit, and when it happens, you will receive power, and you will become my witnesses. Beginning in what city? In Jerusalem. You need to stay in Jerusalem, because that's where this promise is, is going to be fulfilled. You need to stay in Jerusalem, because that's where you're going to receive the power. And you need to stay in your room because that's where your eyewitness testimony must begin. What does Isaiah 2, that's a kingdom prophecy about the mountain of the house of the Lord being exalted above all other mountains and people flowing to it. What does Isaiah 2, Isaiah 2, I think it's verse 3, yeah, what does it say about the word and the law of the Lord. What does it say about the law and the word of the Lord in Isaiah 2? I think it's verse 3. If it's not verse 3, it's maybe verse 4. Uh, uh, it's verse 3. Where, what does it say about the law of the Lord, or the word of the Lord? It's going to flow. It's going to come. From Zion. What's the other name it's, it's given to it? Jerusalem, those aren't two different places. <laughs> you know, th- th- those are two different names describing the same location. Zion was in Jerusalem. And so, you know, Isaiah, 
Isaiah, who lived in the days of Hezekiah, the king. And so you're talking about roughly around 700 years before the time of Christ, before the Messiah came to earth and took on flesh and then died for humanity, that Isaiah said, God's mountain is going to be exalted up so high and nations are going to come to it. And when this happens, the word of the Lord is going to go forth, is going to flow out from Zion, from Jerusalem. Remember what Jesus said, according to Luke in Luke 24? We talk about these are the words I spoke to you, you that all things that the law and the prophets and the Psalms spoke about me must be fulfilled. This is one of those things that must be fulfilled. This is God's plan, and God's going to make it be fulfilled in in the manner that he planned it. And so in Acts chapter 1, once again, so this this is, you know, the the book of Acts is a book of history, New Testament history, the church history, you know, gospel history. But there is an apologetic emphasis that runs behind it constantly trying to show, you know, the the progress in a favorable way as opposition is going to rise up constantly. And and so constantly trying to say, okay, but this is God's plan. This is God's plan. And so when you think about that idea of, of the... Coming of the Spirit and then becoming witnesses. You know, as many of you already know, you know, verse 8 of that same chapter really, really serves as an outline of the entire book. It really serves as an outline of the entire book. And so we, you know, after you kind of get through this, you know, this little introduction, then you start the record of the proclamation of repentance for forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus happening. And so you've got this accurate information about what happened on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. What really happened? Well, Luke tells you what happens. And so, you know, he says, okay, you're going to be my witnesses, my eyewitnesses, and you're going to proclaim the message of Christ to all nations. And so he says, okay, he's going to start in Jerusalem. Beginning in Jerusalem, you're going to be my witness. But it's, it's not going to stay there. It's not going to stay in Jerusalem. It's going to spread. And so he says, and from there, it's going to go to Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria. And those are the two, two regions that we're covering in, in this kind of first half or so of the book of Acts. We're looking at what, you know, what the historian you know, wrote you know, in the events in Jerusalem and then what the historian wrote in events that occurred in Judea and Samaria as they proclaimed the gospel. But then, and so that, you know, that's the first 12 chapters. And then, Lord willing, next quarter you'll pick up in chapter 13 where it begins. Okay, now the gospel is going to the remotest part of the earth. I want to very briefly touch on this idea of this question. So he's, talking, you know, he's been talking about kingdom matters. You know, that, that's what he's been talking about in these kind of 40-day period. And before he leaves, he makes sure that they're reminded again of this father's promise, how they must stay in Jerusalem to be baptized and receive the power that is needed for them to do the work that they've been called to do. 
And so in that context, you know, verse 6, they had a question. He says, so, you know, when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Remember, he's been talking about kingdom stuff all along. And so this is not, you know, this question is not just kind of being pulled out of the hat, out of the blue. No, this, this is, is, these are things that they, their mind has been on for several days. Now he's just talked about, okay, stay in Jerusalem. You're going to receive power when you're immersed with the Holy Spirit. And, they, and, he, and so he says, so when they came together, they were asking and saying, Lord, is it at this time? What time? The time that would you just talk about? The time of the fulfillment of the Father's promise. You know, when that promise is fulfilled, is it at that time? Is it at that time you're going to restore the kingdom to who or what? To Israel. Are they on the same page with Jesus? Yeah, not always. <laughs> They're still struggling. And, you, and so you begin, even in that question, now he says, okay, it's not for you to know, you know these times and epochs that are all part of God's plan, that God has fixed according to God, the Father's authority, but what, all that you need to be concerned about right now, that's a little paraphrase, obviously. What you need to be focused on, don't be focused on your question, well, is he going to restore the kingdom to, it, to, to Israel? And he says, no, what you need to be focused on, you just need to stay in Jerusalem. That's going to be 10 days. 10 days longer, they got to stay in Jerusalem, these Galileans. Because there's something going to happen. Now, they don't know it's just 10 days. They just got to stay. You know, you know, remember Paul's conversion? You're going to talk about that later. Paul's conversion had to wait how many days? He, he, he saw Jesus on the road. You know, how many days later before Ananias shows up? Three, Three days. You know, that was long enough. <laughs> Three days in the dark. They have to wait longer than that. They don't know exactly when. So, but but he, that's what he, this is what you need to do. You need just to wait in Jerusalem, like I told you. You know, to me, it's almost like a parent talking to a child. You know, a child starts, you know, mind starts wondering, popping out. Of the and you say, no, don't worry about that stuff. Don't you worry? You know, that's that's not, that's what you need to be focused on. What you need to focus on is this right here. What I've told you. Stay in Jerusalem because you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to start witnessing for me starting in Jerusalem. Yeah, that's what you need to do. And, but you, you think about this idea, how, you know, and that pretty much their thinking is really reflective of kind of the, the national sentiment of Jews. You know, Jew, you know, whose domination are they under? Rome, right. They're under Roman domination. And they, have, and, that, and they have been that way for a while. You know, and so from a national standpoint, you know, people who once were more free, but now under, are now, you know, they want to be free of this domination again. So, so they're just reflecting what's pretty much, you know, it is you know, felt by everyone. But what's interesting, if you go back and you look in the gospel accounts, remember when they, when they were... Arguing and fussing, and there's a little bit of tension about who's the greatest apostle. That's really in the context of who's the greatest apostle in the kingdom. See? Yeah. And so that's really the context. You know, when they want to know who's the greatest in the kingdom. And so they still aren't 100% 
to the understanding they need. And so you think about why the, the spirit role is so vital here, not just to give them power so they can you know, get them themselves can present convincing proofs that they are messengers of God with a divine message. But also they need the spirit. Remember what Jesus says in John 14, John 15, and John you know, 16 about the comforter, the helper coming? He says, you know, he, he needs to come. He needs to come. I'm leaving. And so that's good I'm leaving so the spirit can come because you need the spirit to help you remember. What do they have to remember? Everything that Jesus said. You know, they don't remember everything, but they're going to, they need the Spirit to help them remember. All right? And, he about, and he's going to come in so that you can be able to testify of things he will tell you. So there are, there are more things that the apostles are going to be revealed that they haven't received yet that the Spirit is going to give them. And then in, 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 John, you know, John, in yeah, John 16, verse 13, where it talks about, and he will guide you into all what? All truth. He will guide you into all the truth. You know, so yeah, so they, they need the Spirit. And that's obvious by the fact, even in this 40 days, different appearances when Jesus is with them personally, talking about the kingdom, they, they're not, they don't understand everything still yet. And he said, so wait. You're going to receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And, you know, and interestingly... You know, they start, you know, they start having a greater comprehension and understanding of kingdom matters now after all of this. And so it is after that then, you know, he gives this order, gives this command, what they're to do. And we're told then he's, then Jesus lifted up. Jesus ascends to his father. You know, he sends to his, to the right hand of the throne in heaven, you know, to be Lord in Christ, to be king, to be mediator, high priest, to be all that he, he is to be for us. And so he ascends and he's, he goes up. You know, basically, he's, he's, you know, what I envision, they, they, he's starting to ascend up. <laughs> you know, this is not some trick. He just starts ascending in the, very, in, in the very sight of their own eyes. They start seeing him going up. And then... It says there in verse 10, as they were gazing into the sky, you know, of course these two come, but in verse, me, verse 9, I was looking for a cloud received them out of their sight. And so for a while they saw him ascending, but then the cloud took him and he was, and he was gone out of their sight. And so two angels say, men of Galilee, you know, why are you just gawking up here in the sky? You know, yeah, because are they in Jerusalem right now? No, they're not in Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. Acts says you know they are at what mount? Mount Olivet. Luke, the book of Luke tells you, yeah, you know, they were at what town? Bethany. Bethany was on the eastern slopes. Of Mount Olivet. And so there's not a conflict here. You know, they are where Luke tells us they were. You know, and so, and so, so that's where they are. They, they are in the region of Mount Olivet. 
They're not in Jerusalem. And so remember, what was it? they were just like, wait in Jerusalem, kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm leaving. You need to stay in Jerusalem. And so here they are. They, and so Jesus, their Lord, their King, just leaves. Yeah. And they're just looking. They haven't moved yet. <laughs> they haven't taken a step at all in the right direction. And so these angels come. Yeah. In their radiance. And say, you know, why are you looking, still looking up into the sky? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Jesus has been taken to heaven. He says, but he's coming back. And he'll come back in what manner? Same way. Right. In the same way that he left. He was taken up in the clouds. And so it's not coincidental when you speak of various judgments and the return of the Lord, the imagery of coming in the clouds you know, runs you know, rampantly in divine revelation. Yeah. And so he says, he will come in like manner just as you saw him go up. And you think about it, you know, he's left you, but he's, he's coming back. This is not the end of the story, is it? It's not the end of the story at all. Yeah. In a sense, it, it is just the beginning of the end. Because this is all about Jesus coming and going back so that what can be proclaimed to all sinners throughout time. The gospel. Yes. The good news of Jesus Christ. That through repentance there is forgiveness of sins in the name of the Son of God. And so they go back to Jerusalem. We're told it's about a Sabbath day's journey. Uh, Bethany, we said, you know, what I found is it's less than two miles away from Jerusalem. So it's not, it's not that far away. You know, and, of course, this idea of the Sabbath day journey, that is basically that expression comes from Jewish tradition uh, and, and, and setting some of those, you know, those traditions that were handed down from gener- generation. And so they go back and they go back to this upper room where they, they were staying in Jerusalem and then you've got, you got the 11 apostles named in verse 13. Why just 11? Judas is dead. Right. He's gone. There's just 11. And so they're, so they're in Jerusalem, and 11. And, and so they're all together. There's oneness. There's unity. You know, and uh, what are they doing while they wait for the promise? They're praying. That's what they're doing. As they're waiting for the fulfillment of the Father's promise, they are praying. And so here you've got this fervent, united prayer you know, that we know when we kind of do the, the math that you know, for 10 days they're praying. And you think about what better thing to do when you're waiting for something phenomenal than to pray. That's what the apostles did as they wait for this promise to be fulfilled. Just in closing, just to say this, this is the last time that the names of all the apostles are going to be listed together. This is the last time. You got the 11 in verse 13, and then you got the, you know, you know, the replacement of Judas Iscariot happening in the same chapter. That is a prelude to Acts 2. 
You know, so this is the last time they're all named. Yeah. Now, there'll be times they'll say, oh, the apostles here, apostles there. But this is the last time that they're named. It's also, you think about it, the last time that really the, the mother of Jesus is named. If, I, you know, if, I, if I'm correct, and, you, know, you, know, you know, it's the last time, you know, that she's named. And that should impress us when you think about the spread of the gospel and the growth of the Lord's church as vital as she was to the plan of God in bringing the Redeemer into the world. Yeah, she did not occupy some special exalted place in the Lord's church. Thank you very much for your attention. Appreciate uh, uh, you and uh, look forward to this quarter with you.